0: This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in-person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com masters. Hey entrepreneurs, my name is Felix and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Travis Lochner from beehive.com revealed how he built a business on the side by driving traffic from Tumblr. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that believes that your competitive edge actually does not have to be your product. In this episode, you'll learn... What red flags to look for when sourcing products overseas, why you don't need to sell a completely original product, and how to improve your decision-making to start making decisions faster. Today, I'm joined by Brig Taylor from SlideBelts.com. That's S-L-I-D-E-B-E-L-T-S.com. SlideBelts redefines a classic fashion accessory with simple, subtle, stylish leather belts without holes. It was started in 2007 and based out of El Dorado Hills, California. Welcome, Brig.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Felix.
0: So tell us a little bit more about your story and what, is, what are some of the most, you know, you obviously sell belts. What are some of the most popular products that you sell?
1: Um, yeah, so I mean, basically, the opportunity that we had was to um, sell, uh, rebrand the military belts that a lot of people are familiar with. And that's kind of a belt without holes. And so we had an opportunity to put that into the marketplace, redesign it, make it kind of cool, kind of sleek. And um, our most popular products are definitely belts. I mean, that's the name of the company, Slide Belts. And, you know, down the road, we're going to get more and more into uh, wearable tech. But right now, it's like your basic belt. And, um, I, you know, we basically used the a couple different trends and waves to help kind of grow the business. Uh, in all honesty, uh, it's grown. You know, we've grown it just like you would grow any other business uh, that has a product, you know, a consumer product that they're trying to sell and market and sell. And, uh, you know, yes, it's true that we have a unique product and it's like patented and, you know, that gives us a little bit of competitive edge. But, you know, we've used and that's like I listen to you guys all the time and I, you know, I try and get a lot of tips and tricks from you. So I imagine you know, listeners want to know, like, hey, how can I do what you guys are doing? How can I have the success that you've had? And so my goal is to kind of like show you guys, hey, listen, like you can still do what we've done and you don't have to have like this awesome, like competitive product. You can actually have a sleek product that isn't necessarily patented by you and you can only get it at your shop you can still have the success that we've had it's it's, it's quite easy right now if if you're willing to dig deep it's (laughs) obviously it's really hard but by easy i mean there's opportunity
0: Awesome. Yeah. definitely want to talk about how to market competitive or how to market or how to start a business and not necessarily selling competitive or not sell, not necessarily selling a completely original product. And we'll get into that in a second, but let's talk about yeah. the early days for you. So how did you get involved in this? Like, were you making fashion accessories? Were you in the industry at all?
1: Um, no, not at all. Actually, I, uh, I was teaching English in a, I uh, was sort of a mission uh, for my church actually in a country called Romania. It's well, actually, it's Moldova is the name of the country. And um, it's Russian speakers, Moldovan speakers, Romanian speakers. They all live in Moldova. And I was teaching English out there. And um, I received a gift from a student. And it was like this old like ratchet buckle. And I thought it was really cool and kind of wore it. I didn't think about it at the time. Um, I didn't realize, hey, this is like something I could market. That's not really like my mindset. It was more like looking down the road, looking at a product. Seeing that I was wearing it so so consistently, I was like, you know what, I, I like it so much. I bet you know, other people would like this if we if we kind of changed it a little bit, so it wasn't so so it wasn't so um, industrial, but it was a little more kind of like a skitsuper super product. I bet people would like it just as much. So I did that. That, that was I was in Moldova in 2000, 2002 to two thousand four, and then I had a college that I went to after that, and nothing. It didn't really pick up. You know, I didn't really officially start actually until two thousand seven. And that's when I actually formed like the LLC and um, I was starting to try and sell the product to my friends. I had, my first order was 400. The hard part was actually trying to track down the product. So, I mean, I had like this, you know, I had like this rugged military buckle and I'm like, Hey, I had some sketches and designs. And at the time, this is 2006, 2007, you know, it's not as possible. I mean, Alibaba existed, but it was, it seemed to me like it doesn't work the same way it does. It didn't work the same way it does now it wasn't so obvious that you could source products. So in 2006, 2007, I started looking around, calling people randomly that I saw on websites or, you know, <laughs> I like contacts, friends of friends who lived in Europe or Turkey or, you know, they lived in like uh, back in Moldova. I tried contacting people and be like, hey, can you help me source this? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to redesign this buckle. I'm trying to sell it. It was actually really hard. It's a lot easier now because of Alibaba. You can just log in and like find factories pretty easily now.
0: That's cool. So you, you had this product already, you thought it was cool and useful for yourself. And at some point you just, you thought that other people might be interested in too, and you said you sold 400. How did you sell those initial 400? And, and we'll get into this in a second right after, yeah. but it sounded like you didn't have the product on hand at the time. But yeah, let's start with how you were able to get those first 400 sales.
1: Oh, uh, sorry. So that was like a first, that, that was actually my first like order from the factory. I apologize. So it wasn't, I didn't sell them immediately. I had that was my first like factory manufacturing like order that came in, so I got four hundred. So I obviously got a prototype, confirmed the prototype. That's like a long story. There was a couple mistakes there. I used had to use part of my student loan for the first prototype, and then they stole it. And then I had a friend who was um, in, uh, you know, he was in Beijing um, or actually Shanghai, I think, university, Um, and uh, he was a friend of mine from school, and I flew him to the factory because I couldn't waste any more money. And then we placed, uh, got a couple prototypes, confirmed them, ordered four hundred, and then ultimately those first sales were made um, to friends and family. You know.
0: Okay, so that definitely want to dive into this story then. So you wanted to get four hundred made initially before you went out and to try to sell it to anybody, and you ran into some difficulties. You said that they stole your design. Like, what what happened there?
1: They, well, they, they didn't really. They basically they didn't steal any design. But what happened was this was like the very first person I reached out to that was in China. And they just didn't give me a prototype. It was $800 only. I mean, yeah. it's a lot still, and it's a lot back then for me, honestly. But it was, um, but they just never gave me a prototype. And I was like, whoa, that was kind of crazy. And then I used another company, and then they gave me a terrible prototype. And then that, at that point, the third attempt, I decided, you know what? one more shot of this I have a friend there I'm going to fly him to go visit this, this, this new factory to see if they're actually legit
0: uh, so you you had basically put in money to get some prototypes made but then you never got anything from it or you got like a crappy exactly. prototype so looking back on it now you know for any listeners out there that are thinking about uh, getting prototypes made or even maybe just going and placing an order were there any red flags that you noticed now you know based on your experience looking back were there any things that you saw that other people can look out for to make sure they avoid this issue
1: um, yeah. I mean, so if I source something nowadays, I'm, uh, I feel like my judgment's a lot better. And those flags that you want to look out for, I mean, people will, they'll misspell words. It's hard to judge based on their spelling. It's hard to judge based on their grammar. Um, it's, you know, I basically judge it on who they're selling to right now, what their website looks like, what their, um, what the current products they sell, how diverse they are. Uh, you know, it's basically like it's like trying to explain, I mean, you'll, you basically, it's, it's, you know, like you get those weird emails where it says, like, hey, you just inherited tons of money in Africa. Like, <laughs> yeah. how do I explain to somebody, like, try to explain to somebody why that is obviously fake. And you can look at it, and there's certain flags where it's like, well, you know, if you look it up online and see this person, so, you know, Google the factory's name, Google the person's email, their name, um, see if they'll schedule a Skype or phone call, look for any, any oddities where they're too aggressive, if somebody's too aggressive, um, it means they're a little needy, they might be, it might be fake, they might just be trying to get a deposit if they're always focusing every email has to do with a down payment or a deposit. you want to avoid that factor <laughs> mm,
0: so did you did you encounter, did you encounter these uh, these issues with the first couple manufacturers?
1: Yeah, oh for sure yeah they wanted yeah when I look back the the one that ripped me off, uh, yeah, there were obvious flags when I look back and it's like they wanted the money straight up they wanted it first, they kept mentioning it in the emails uh, they didn't even want to like send me. Like, I would even ask, a lot of them want your business. Right now, China's doing great. They're, they have a lot of, you know, they're hungry, but they have a lot of opportunity to, for people like us that are sourcing products, so they want to get your business. So they'll, they'll be willing to, they won't do like a free mold, they won't do like a free prototype for you, but they'll certainly send you products that they already make. So I would ask for products first, like get something that they're currently making, have them send it out for free, and they'll do that. And I never did that before, and I should have, you know, because mm-hmm. then I would confirm that they actually make something at least. You know, say you're doing, doing belts, you want to see, like, oh, they, they most likely make some other type of uh, metal product, and you should, you know, I should have gotten some samples of, you know, uh, some pins or, you know, other types of buckles, even though I, they weren't making my actual prototype.
0: I see. So even if you aren't getting a prototype, you can always ask them for products that are similar to yours or maybe pieces of products that are yep. similar to yours. And how does that, that arranged? Do you usually have to pay for those? Like, how does, what's like an example a, a, a of an arrangement?
1: No, I mean, you can kind of like, as long as you're fr- fairly honest, um, you know, I would kind of use a little bit of like, um, I would explain to them the opportunity. I would say, hey, I'm planning on doing this, this, and this. And my order is going to be 400 right off the bat. And I'm hoping I'm doing 2000 after that in six months. And then um, you could just say, could you guys send me just to make sure, you know, we're on the same page and you guys produce high quality products. Can you send me uh, XYZ products that I saw that you guys make on Alibaba or on your website? Gotcha.
0: So, you mentioned that one of the other kind of keys or kind of questions to ask for to make sure that they're legit is to find out who they're currently selling to. How do you get that kind of information? Are you just asking them, you look on the site, like what are some ways to find out their past clients?
1: Uh, In all honesty, the only way that I've found it useful is when the person I'm talking to um, stateside who isn't associated with the factory, they refer me to that factory. And that's pretty rare. That's only happened like once or twice. Mm. And then, then I know that person's like, oh, hey. Um, so-and-so makes, you know, he helped make, um, you know, you could say, oh, you know, SOG knives, like they actually helped like, you know, they helped produce this in this country and you can, you know, but here's my, here's a referral. You can see if they can help you out. That's, that's pretty rare. That's like, I mean, that, I, I've been doing this for a long time and that's only recently happened <laughs> early on. You can ask them what, who they produce for, but you'd have to get details because they'll say, oh yeah, we do Mercedes, we do a uh, BMW. We also do Nike and Adidas, but it's all knockoff items. So it sometimes doesn't mean anything. Um, I would ask for you can always ask for more details, like what was the last thing you produced for them. Sometimes they're if they're a really legitimate company, um, then it's they will, they'll be under contract. Sometimes they're not allowed to say uh, or specify what they made, and that's a good sign sometimes. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, definitely. It sounds like there's just so many um, things to look at. So that's why I guess it made sense for you to send somebody that you knew. Over there, over in China, directly to these manufacturers, directly to these factories. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, I think I've heard of other people, other people on the podcast have mentioned uh, finding agents over there, but you know, if you have a friend or a colleague or somebody out over there that's, probably even better you know so tell us about what is that like what are you sending them over there to look for or, or what do you i guess what's the hook at this what is the reconnaissance mission like when you go into a factory or, or a manufacturer
1: yeah so some awesome flags that were good that, that you know showed me i was, uh, was able to spend more money on this third attempt uh my buddy showed me pictures he let me know hey they picked me they picked him up at the airport um and i was like hey that's pretty cool like even though i mean he was in china but he had to fly to get there and because it was in a different city and I was like, Hey, that's, that's kind of legitimate. They picked them at the airport. That's a good sign. And then, you know, he sent me pictures of their offices and then he sent me pictures of the factory and it wasn't like beautiful. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like uh, offices, you know, that you'd see in Silicon Valley, but they were, uh, they looked like legitimate operating facilities. So that was, a, those are all good signs pointing to, um, you know, less, less opportunity for missing or losing money, basically. It was, like, it was all plus signs, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like based on your first two experiences, just making sure they had an office was was a a big step up already.
1: (laughs) I know, right? And nowadays, you know, we're we're moving so fast and we're growing that I can't use those same methods. So it's funny because we just are forming a new relationship just the last couple months with a a different factory in a different country. And it's fantastic. I mean, they have, you know, the reason we're doing that is so that as we get into bigger retailers, there's all these compliance issues that I'm quite confident my early factories would never be able to pass. So it's nice to be um, kind of after years later to get into like the real game with real factories where they have real, real representatives and they'll have all these sales, um, uh, sales agreements and they actually have payment terms and all these agreements. I'm like, wow, like, this is actually like the real world. This is what I thought it would be. But early on, I had to use some of these, like early on, you had to use these contacts that perhaps weren't like, they, I, I just feel like they're less professional, but it worked out for us, you know?
0: Mm, yeah I guess it makes sense at that stage so did you ever go, turn over to Alibaba at any point because I know you are saying before that it didn't really maybe exist or ex- didn't exist in the same I guess the, the same uh, I guess professionalism or built out like it is today
1: I would, I would for sure use it now I would for sure like I've used it um, I mean I'm use it probably twice but I didn't use let's see they have like trade um, they have like trade assurances or something like that where now you can almost have like money in escrow I would totally use it now i didn't I didn't use like the escrow services um, and you know in one of those they both kind of worked out i I probably should have used one. Um, we were just moving so fast that we lost a little bit of money, and it, the product wasn't it wasn't because they ran ran with the money, but they just gave me something of subpar product so in that case, like nowadays if you find a uh, factory in Alibaba, they have like ratings on there they you can they have like um, references referrals you can look at like how long they've been in business, it's pretty safe nowadays. And I would only use a company or a factory in Alibaba that, that allows you to put like your money um, in escrow. So you, you actually have like an insurance. So it's like, hey, you, you can spend less than 20000 and we'll cover you if there's some kind of ripoff or something like that. Like it, it, that's pretty safe. I yeah, that wouldn't cool. do anything else. Otherwise, if you're starting from scratch, I wouldn't risk it uh, using anything else.
0: That's great. So you had these, um, finally you were able to get these 400 or so uh, belts uh, manufactured and, and over mm-hmm. to you. So tell us a little bit about that, that very, I guess, selling those first 400. Was it just friends of family or were there other ways for you to offload that, that initial inventory?
1: Yeah, so um, I actually had a website before, like even Shopify and other uh, companies came around and helped you create it. So, you know, I had to like hook up a merchant account with like Wells Fargo and I used PayPal uh, early on and it was really you can, I mean, anybody can log in the web archives and they go to slideboat.com and go to like 2007 or 2008 and you can see website is pretty, uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty basic. You know, I mean, I was proud of it at the time and that's the name of the game. You know, I'm sure there's stuff that I'm proud of today that I'll be a little bit uh, embarrassed about five years from now, but mm-hmm. that's the name of the game, you know, and you go step by step. And, uh, at the time the website, I loved it. It was awesome, but it was definitely a lot easier now with like companies like Shopify. But, you know, back then I tried to make sales online. It wasn't that great. I kind of burned myself uh, using AdWords. Like I targeted um, generic words like belts, you know? And then, so I was like, oh, I'm willing to pay like $2 per click on belts. And I lost like a thousand bucks. And I was like, oh, in like, in like 15 minutes, I had to, like turn it on. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is how AdWords works. Oh, this is cool. Like my I, I listing is showing up on Google. And then little and I was like, like, all my money like gone. i was like, oh, that was very scary. So I burned myself and I was like, I'm never going to use AdWords again. So I my but the belt sat around for a little bit, you know, for like a year, um roughly like a year or two and I had some great friends come by and you know, some that were old family friends and they would buy like ten or fifty or you know, I had somebody buy like a decent amount of like almost a hundred. Wow. And that was helpful. And I don't know if they resold them or I'm not sure what they did with them. It might have been a charity thing, but it definitely helped uh you know, them aside and, and bought the next amount, which was I can't remember if it was like it was almost Hundred or something like
0: that. That's awesome. So you, you mentioned earlier about how you don't necessarily have to sell a product that is, I think what you're getting at was completely original or not necessarily not completely original, but you don't have to sell some groundbreaking technology or groundbreaking products. So talk a little bit more about that. What did, what did you mean by that?
1: So uh, what I meant was I, I feel very confident that I, I could have uh, sold even a non-ratchet belt, like a non-special, unique Product, uh, because at the time I felt like, like there was a lot of people in 2007, eight, nine, 10, even, um, you know, even the last couple of years who would be willing to take a risk on spending money on a product on a, uh, that's on a website that looks decent. And that's, um, that was, that's like an opportunity right there where, uh, some com- larger companies were a little bit behind in the game in terms of e-commerce, as you know, I'm sure a lot of people are aware. And so their website didn't look that spectacular. Um, you could actually look like you 're a pretty big company if you had some decent graphics and as long as you weren 't running into a bunch of you know dead links on your website, you, people would be willing to take that risk so you know nowadays it 's a little bit more competitive and you always have to be kind of looking for that that competitive edge whether it 's in financing whether it 's in the way that you sell whether it 's in operations whether it 's in a product you know I try and make sure we have a competitive edge in every aspect before it becomes popular so uh, you know, it's very, it's really competitive now and not just with Shopify, but you have big commerce and you have, and you have a couple of many other companies that are helping people sell the products. So it's not foreign to anybody right now. If I told you, Hey, I have, I have a website and I have a product that's on the website. It's not nearly as kind of uh, surprising as it was in 2007 and eight and nine. You know. Yeah, that,
0: so. that that makes sense. So you're you're get what you're getting at is that the product itself doesn't have to be unique, doesn't have to be your competitive edge, but you could find other ways. And some things you mentioned is uh, things that maybe I, actually I haven't heard before. So you're saying that in your financing, your operations, you could have competitive edge as well, which is completely removed from the product. You know, completely removed from the I guess the consumer facing side of your business. Yeah,
1: no, exactly. You can do it on any aspect of the business, and you really have to if you if people are like wanting to start their business or keep their business going, that are listening to this, like you really, if you're into, I mean, there's either, you're either, uh, you know, or you're dying, really. are either growing or you're dying. It's kind the common phrase. And I really mean, like I, I used to kind of believe that, but I really firmly believe it nowadays. And by, you know, the only way to grow is not just sales. I mean, you have to innovate. Uh, I know that word's kind of beat to death uh, nowadays, but you kind of have to innovate and have a competitive edge in every aspect of your business. As many, as much as you can, obviously, you can't like, you know, I'm not like using a teleporter to ship my products, but I'm definitely trying different ways to save money on my packaging for shipping products, you
0: know? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So, so yeah, let's talk about this a little more. So what are some other ways or other things that, that a store owner can look at that seem maybe not uh, product related or not related to their marketing that, that could give their company, give their brand a competitive edge?
1: Um, so let's see. So, I mean, you, you have to kind of have a couple things lined up, uh, to make it work. You can't just have one thing that you're going for you. Sometimes you can, and it works out, but, um, so let's see, I, I typically like what I wish somebody would have told me was that there's always, if there is some kind of competitive edge, a lot of times, and it's working right now for some, a select few people or select amount of companies, uh, they're not going to tell you. So there's certain things I'm using right now that I won't tell people because it's, it's our competitive edge. Like, whether it's right now a way that we sell products, maybe it's the way that we market it, maybe it's the way that I import it. And it's like, I know that it'll catch, people will catch on eventually, but it, you know, we dug in, I did some research, looked online, talked to some people, looked on forums, listened to podcasts. Like, listen, to you guys, sometimes it will, some of your callers or some people in the interview will drop some, like a golden nugget. I'll be like, sweet, golden nugget. i nice. gonna like, go look into it and be like, oh, awesome, that helped out. And some of those things don't last forever. So the stuff I share will be like a year or two or three old, it won't be like the stuff I'm using like right now, or maybe it is. And I still, you know, sometimes it's so extreme that I'm like, Hey, you know what? It's nobody's going to everybody's going to have a hard time executing this, even if they know about it. So, you know, there's uh, on Amazon, you can actually, if you're selling on Amazon, there's a lot of lightning deals you can do. You can actually pay for those. Uh, a lot of the world that you think that exists around you isn't really um, it's, it's more paid for and structured as sad as it is than you would think. Even products that are, people are pushing on Facebook or Instagram, most likely there was some kind of payment involved and that's like kind of sad, but it's kind of the way the world is. And that was like me going through my own, like oh, my eye opening process uh, among many eye opening uh, experiences and running the business. One of those was, wow, these, so many of these sales and these uh, collaborations, like everybody's kind of scratching each other's back. Like I can't believe that uh, we're not, you know, there's no like shading going on, but you know, sometimes I was surprised to realize that there was like, uh, you know, they didn't express, hey, this was something we got paid for, or, this person got paid for, and they were pushing the product. Now, that's called influence marketing, and that's kind of talked about now, but it wasn't talked about like two years ago. Uh,
0: yeah, and I almost don't even mind that that there are things you can pay for that, that uh, there are kind of trades or scratch my back, scratch your back, because at least it's, it's clear, I guess, you know, at least you understand that it's it's logical, right? Because if you approach a business and you want to work with them and they say, hey, you pay us, we'll do this for you. It feel I feel like it makes business a lot easier to to run right because you can actually measure that measure if it's actually worth the investment actually you know get things moving rather than who yeah. knows how to work with them so I don't I don't actually personally I don't personally mind when it comes down to things like that because again no, you are, you the way the world business. works yeah, yeah so
1: it's everybody I mean everybody's been doing it Michael Jordan's been doing it. like everybody does it like you know you see somebody drinking Gatorade you see somebody at McDonald's. And if it's an ad, like, people are getting paid for it. It's fine. It honestly is how the world works. I, I, I honestly was naive about it. So I'm sure there's a majority of people listening, and yourself included... We're not as naive as I was, but for me, I was like, "What? That's crazy! I can't believe." it. No, I think everyone,
0: I think a lot of me, me included, went through this too. Where I was uh, surprised—not necessarily surprised, but uh, same thing that you're saying, where you think that everything is kind of uh, done out of favor, not as their favors, but yeah. done out of their good of their own hearts. But you know, a lot of it comes down to paying for things, so that that, that yeah. makes sense. So maybe, yeah. maybe if you don't, you don't, you don't have to obviously reveal your secret sauce, but tell us about how you go. How you would you go about? trying to identify where you can, you know, maybe on a day-to-day basis, a weekly basis, what are you doing to make sure you are always having a competitive edge?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you just have to kind of look at, so here's what, so here's a, here's an awesome trick and tip that I realize I use a lot of, and that is look for any aspect of how you run your business. Look at other industries. Like people are so, they have such tunnel vision and they, like they would say, if they were running a, a paperclip company or business, and they would only look at other paperclip companies and they would copy each other. Like there's so many other industries that are doing like doing uh, mastering or dominating some aspect of the business that has nothing to do with your industry. And so if you want to like, you know, if you search on how certain companies are run, you can find either whether it's a style, whether it's a trend that they're using, or whether it's how their operations are run, whether it's uh, the shipping costs, like you know, looking into Amazon, how they actually do low cost shipping. Um, you know, we just learned recently that you can actually do fulfilled by Amazon, um, and not have to ship it to their warehouses. And that's like, freaking awesome. Like you actually get like their API and you print their labels, you know? And it's like, that's fantastic. You know, that's like, that means you don't have to have, um, you don't have to have products that's sitting on the shelves in a warehouse, you know, in, um, Kentucky or whatever, and waiting to be sold. And that's money that's on your books. Right. So it's like, there's certain strategies where you can look at other industries. So don't ever be post minded enough. Like if you like somebody's email that you got, and it has nothing to do with the industry. Dude, like copy that email. And that's a starting point. Use the template and say it's like, um, you know, Moo.com. They do awesome cards and their emails are awesome. And you could, uh, make a template out of their emails and then you can improve it. And that's, that's not a heinous crime, you know?
0: No, I, I love that that you're not just trying to reinvent the wheel every time. Look at other industries, get that inspiration and like you're saying, if everyone's just focused on the same industry that they're in, there's gonna be very slow innovation because there's everyone's again copying each other or, or, you know, looking at each other to mimic their business models. But if you look outside of your industry, you'll find what's killing it, what's working in other industries and maybe you won't be able to copy it exactly, but at least get inspiration or get pieces.
1: Like, you, everybody's heard the quote from Steve Jobs where it's like, uh, you know, he says, like, great artists steal or whatever. And we looked at if you look into that and just Google it, you realize it's actually not a real quote. You know, it's not something um, that was ever really said. But you look at what the original quote was, and it's something I love saying around here, which is the original quote. I can't remember who says it, but it's, uh, great poets imitate and improve, whereas small poets uh, steal and spoil. So our goal is to imitate and improve, and our goal is never to steal and spoil. There's plenty mm-hmm. of people, even Ratchet Bell companies, that – steal and spoil they, they take an idea and then they don't like they don't have that concept of wanting high quality goods high quality products high quality companies and they spoil it for everybody and they just they don't improve upon it right so it's there's a difference between stealing and spoiling and imitating and improving
0: can, can you can you speak on that a little more Like, how do you know when you're how do you catch yourself to make sure that you are actually doing the improving side rather than just steal and spoil
1: uh it's, it's really focusing on the thousand details so if you are running say a popular product that's kind of growing right now is um, those uh, standing desks, right? the adjustable mm-hmm. desks. So if you had an awesome company and you started the first one to do the adjustable desks, and I, and I was like, "Hey, you know this is a great idea I'm going to go ahead and take this." And so I take the idea, and I go to, um, you know I go to uh, Japan and I try and make have them copy that exact desk, and they, you know you copy the motor, you copy the style, and then you start looking at it, and you start selling, say you do an order of a thousand or something like that then what you, um, and w- the way that you spoil it is if somebody, <laughs> they jack the prices way up or they jack the prices way low, the quality of the website's terrible, uh, they don't deal well with their wholesale uh, uh, relationships, so that anybody who's like, uh, say it's early in the early days of adjustable desks, and you would be like, oh, hey, you try and contact, say, Target or you try and contact, you know, Costco or, um, you know, some other company where you're trying to sell your product, and you're like, oh, we know all about adjustable desks. Like, you, we dealt with so and so company and they're terrible. And you guys uh, have a terrible profit margin and you have terrible retail prices. That's how you would spoil it. You see, it's like somebody takes an idea and they run with it. And then because their eye is too much on the money as opposed Mm -hmm. to the product and the quality um, and they're not enjoying the process, then they kind of ruin it for a lot of people that are in the pool, you know? And that's, I I haven't, I haven't, the world's a pretty big place. So I don't, I don't have any kind of like, I'm not out to get those types of people. Um, I just think for everybody, for their own personal improvement, it's important to, to realize it's okay to imitate as long as your heart's in the right place and you're there to improve the world for a better place, you know? And yeah, I yeah. think,
0: I think you know, it's like those uh, businesses that pop up and try to get in, make money, and get out as quickly as possible and not in it for the long term. I think you, you start noticing that they're just trying to copy as quickly as possible and not waste time trying to improve.
1: You can improve, like even our belt, like even our product. Like I was saying, you don't even have to have a ratchet belt. Like for instance, leather belts right now, they don't really, a lot of them are kind of like a fake leather. Like even stuff you see on the shelves of some nice stores out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're not the highest quality leather. And if you just start digging in and trying to figure out where these larger companies are sourcing their products, you'd be surprised and you'd be like, wow, they're not choosing the best quality possible. And you could say, well, that comes down to, to profit margins. Yeah. I don't know. It's my personal philosophy. I, I would rather produce high quality goods. And I honestly, between you and me and everybody else listening, <laughs> I think it's a, a trend. Craftsmanship is a trend. So people are willing to spend a lot more money on high quality products. And Mm. that should be obvious to anybody at this point. Uh, It's going that direction. I don't know how long for, for, hopefully for decades, you know,
0: Definitely. So just to kind of boil all this all down if I can, It you take something that already works, maybe your industry, maybe outside industry, find your competitive edge. And sometimes that competitive edge has nothing to do with the product itself. It could be again your finance and your operation the team you hire. And that's how you it sounds like that's like the ethos of the way that you've been running your business, been running your uh, your your company itself. So
1: yeah, and it all ties together, it all ties to the bottom line. Like even if it has to do with hiring, maybe your HR use an awesome program like like we used BambooHR, HR and it made it way easy. Like it still helps your bottom line and it helps your product, helps your company because I'm saving tons of time and money by not using like some old standard method that, that it has existed for 20 years. I instead jumped right on board to a more forward thinking company that was putting everything on the, uh, onto the, uh, into the cloud. Sorry.
0: So this is something. This is this. Uh, this um, I guess philosophy. This mantra that, that you you live by. It's only possible to to I guess um, build a company around that exact exact same mantra if all your employees and all the people that work on a on a team also believe in it. So how do you make sure that your beliefs and your philosophies on how you should run a business, how the business should be run, uh, gets spread to the rest of the team?
1: Well, you have to actually personally be, uh, curious. You gotta be a curious person. And most of the people we hire are curious achievers. You, you personally, if you want to start a business, um, you know, you have to have this type, type of mentality where you're curiously poking the box, but you're also, uh, quickly pivoting when it doesn't work. I mean, there's plenty of programs or websites or things that I've tried to use. Uh, that didn't work out like even like we use ShipStation to ship our product a lot of people do it's fantastic but you better believe I tried like two or three before I came across ShipStation. you have to be able to recognize oh, that was a mistake now you're right you have to <laughs> there's certain people on your team that you can't just say we're going to use this because I feel good about it and you, you must learn it you might yeah, that might work but uh you know if if you're surrounded by people who are curious you should be curious too and dig in with them my job, you know, I have all sorts of different uh, jobs and responsibilities as a CEO, but I personally believe my, one of my top priorities is building the team and growing the team. So I, I will spend time, you know, sitting down with somebody if we're trying to learn how zero works for our accounting and how I can sync that up with uh, Stitch Labs, with the way we count our inventory so that's all, like, live. Like, I'll sit down and work with that person, and we'll see if we can figure it out together. If we can, not we'll try and contact somebody. We'll try and use what we can temporarily until we find a fix or something like that. It's... It's definitely, you can hire the right people. Most people are, most people are curious, I think, regardless of where they're coming from in their life, regardless of where their career is. Most people are curious. The problem is, um, it's, you have to have the patience. You got to have the, you have to have the good judgment because you made a lot of mistakes in the past to quickly pivot and be like, this is a great program. Let's stick with it. I think this will work. Or this competitive edge is great. Let's stick with this. And being able to communicate to your team and be like, you know, this is temporary. I understand it sucks. We're going to work with this for six months. And then, you know, if you, you, if you're hiring the right people, and most people have a positive mindset. You can get through a lot of stuff and you can try new things without kind of burning the operations bridge or burning the finance bridge because you're trying something new that isn't working. It takes, a, it takes good judgment. And if you're at the right place in your life where you're starting a business and you're not too, um, you're not too inexperienced with, I would just say, interacting with humans, <laughs> if you're not too experienced <laughs> with that, you'll be okay. And, um, but you always have to be like, questioning, is this the best method? You know, is it the best method right now? Is this the best? Like, really, really, really? Like, if you, rather than most people, um, most people blame themselves um, for when something doesn't work well. And that's true. Some part of it is a lesson that you can learn. But make sure you ask the question right after that. Is the process or the system that I'm using, does it, is, is it terrible? Is it subpar? Is it, could it be done better? So, you know, some people will either get down on themselves and they'll be like, nah, I'm terrible. This tool that I'm using or this, uh, you know, the way that I'm selling or listing my products is no good you know or i have to put nine or i have to put 24.99 i have to put cents after the end of it like that's the way it is like no ask yourself is there a better way you know what can i learn from this experience and is there a better way yeah i don't have to put 99 cents you know i can put 25 35 45 straight up cuz that's the company i want to be you know so a lot of people just get they get caught up with blaming themselves or not blaming themselves at all and then they just think the world's stupid i can't i can't uh, you know i can't find another way to do it and throw up their arms Mm-hmm. I think there's a middle ground where you can say, ask if it can be done better. And then there's a lot of people right now um, in the world who are developing systems that work better, that that make more sense in my mind, honestly. And it's, it's an exciting time to be because there's a lot of people who are like, you know what, clocking in for employees, this is a terrible way that all these companies do it. You know, it's terrible the way like uh, Vans does it, PF Chang does it. Like, why do they use these old systems? It's like, yeah. Then comes along a bunch of different companies like WhenIWork.com, and they're like, they're like, hey, we're going to make this super simple, super sleek and super easy to run payroll and it's like wow thank you you know
0: it's funny whenever I have a problem that I want to want solved you you just do a quick Google search and you'll find some company out there that's doing it better than you ever knew was possible so I think that you're definitely on to something yes and
1: exactly and if it doesn't exist guess what business opportunity (laughs) there you go
0: (laughs) Exactly. So one, one thing that I would do, I want to talk about it, that I think, uh, causes a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of, uh, companies to stall out and, you know, and potentially die is decision making. So it sounds like you make decisions very quickly and you, you either try things out quickly and then you cut out what doesn't work quickly. So tell us about what is your decision making process? How do you make, and well, first of all, do you make decisions quickly? And if you do, what is your process like?
1: Um, okay. So let's see. Yeah. Decision making for sure. If, um, that was one thing that I think is very key to a successful company is being able to make fast and quick decisions Mm -hmm. because there's, um, I'm trying to, I've actually tried to structure the business this way. Like we have just, you know, reincorporated in Delaware and there's a few reasons for that, but I've also kind of, uh, you know, improved the structure of our company to allow decisive decision-making. And if you look at like, you know, you look at Google and Facebook, you look at the way they structure their companies, they, they are allowing themselves to grow while not, um, while not handicapping their management team and the ability to make this type of action. So, my, you know, my process is really, you know, at the end of every meeting. And if you read a book like um, How Google Works by Eric Schmidt, they'll talk about the same method. If you're sitting in a meeting, you know, you want to make sure that that meeting, at the very end, you ask yourself if, you know, you have one person in charge of that meeting, and then that person asks, so what? So what's next? What's the next step? You know, it, I, I really believe in. Making sure that we're not just wasting our time, like actual action is being taken. And it doesn't matter, really. It doesn't really matter if you're sure that the results are going to be perfect. You will learn something. You know what I'm saying? Like if we're not sure if we want to launch, uh, say, so say we want to launch like three different types of uh, leather straps. Like we're launching a distressed leather line uh, in a couple of weeks for Father's Day, right? And that was like six months ago that we planned to do that. And I wasn't sure about the patterns. I liked them, but I needed to move on to other things. So, you know, in our, in our team, we looked at what other what watch straps, like what are some awesome distressed watch straps? So we researched that. We looked at them. Uh, we talked with our supplier. We looked at what was possible. And then I said, you know what? This will be awesome. Let's go ahead and get some prototypes of these. Let's get some samples. Let's do a sample order. And uh, let's plan on launching these on Memorial Day. And you know what, as we went forward, yeah, that seemed kind of like, uh, like I kind of knew it wouldn't work out exactly as planned, but guess what? We put it in stone and we said, we're going to work our butts off just to make sure that this happens. Even though we worked really hard, I had to move that to a, to father's day and that's fine. Like we can tweak that and be like, you know, we can tailor a distressed line of belt to father's day because, you know, we're going to tailor it towards like, uh, the work, like the, uh, the handyman side of, of, of dad, right? And so instead of, like, working on Memorial Day, Memorial Day, where you're going to pitch the distress line as, as something that was, like, awesome, like, kind of like a, you know, use, like, a, a color palette that kind of was like Game of Thrones, and we're going to talk about kind of, like, you know, um, the battle, the entering the battlefield and leaving the battlefield, and we're talking about distressed leather and stuff like that. But we, we pivoted, and uh, creatively, there's always so many solutions to a single problem that I think if you just don't tie yourself to one solution— um, you can you'll find that there's a lot of uh, a lot of paths to take.
0: Mm, so basically, be flexible and don't expect or even don't even require that the actions you take will give you the perfect results because that can stifle your 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 speed essentially and kind of slow things down for your business. That could, could yes. kill your business.
1: Oh uh, yeah, if you are striving for perfection, you're just going to not execute enough and you're you're gonna depress yourself. And that's that's a total like I believe in it personally as as much success as I've had. I also believe. That I can get into a spiral of, of say, like depression or uh, inaction, perhaps, or mm-hmm. lack of lack of action or inability to execute, or lack of confidence or lack of faith. Like you can get into a downward spiral. Right now, I'm in an upward spiral. and I'm trying to build defenses around that, so that I'm making sure I'm focusing on the good, making sure I'm training my team, so that on downtime they can lift me up, just like I've lifted them up when I brought them on and trained them. So, you know, it's building up kind of uh, you know walls against. Uh, you know, the mistakes that a lot of people make, whether they're conscious or subconscious. Uh, like, you might be leaving a meeting, everybody feels really good, but guess what? You, you forget, and this happens, this used to happen a lot, it doesn't happen very much to me anymore, but like, we're feeling good and we're like, had an awesome conversation, and then we, I forget to ask like, oh, what, what's the next step? Like, do we need to meet again? Or what was the, what was the decision in this? Mm-hmm. So use it, you, whenever you organize meetings, use verbs. It's like, make sure it's like, brainstorm, uh, decide, think about, or it's, um... Uh, nail down a date, or it's uh, move the ball forward. You know, you it probably better to be more specific. It's like, you know, confirm the uh, prototypes for the distressed leather. <laughs> you know, like, it's actual verbs, not just like, a meeting about product launches on Thursday. <laughs> yeah, like, no. basically,
0: it sounds like you want to boil it down to the point where you could actually take this and do this immediately and you know exactly what you would be doing, not yeah. some, you know, high-level thing. And, and I think... It, I think it's important to know, too, that you, know, you have a team, of course, but I think this applies for people even working by themselves or they have a to-do list or they plan things out. You can still take these exact same steps and make sure that all of the notes, all of the kind of action, quote-unquote, action items you're putting down are actually legit action items that are things that you can take action on immediately and not just you know high-level fluff, Fluff essentially, is what we want to avoid.
1: Yep. And when all fails, and you've already done that dozens of times, and you push back the deadline... Then at that point I don't even I don't even let myself off the hook and I'm like I'm doing it right now I don't even care it's mm-hmm. eleven o'clock at night I'm tired I've already allowed myself off the hook I'm doing it right now like that's it I'm done even if I'm you know, call, calling somebody in the middle of the night and I'm leaving a voicemail like that's it I'm done <laughs> like I, and you have to have that impatience with yourself because you want to be you know you want to be flexible but if you're realizing that you are not buckling down and actually you know getting something done and you've pushed it back so many times like don't give don't let yourself off the hook you know mm-hmm. fear fear yourself you know fear yourself more than what somebody else can inflict upon you, just be like, dude, uh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure next time I do this because I forced myself to be, you know, to, to do this middle of the night when I was exhausted. I'm definitely going to make sure I execute next time. <laughs> definitely.
0: Makes sense. So I yeah. want to talk a little bit about the um, the success you've had with uh, basically the company itself. So I wanted to first start with the, the Kickstarter campaign. So you had the Survival Belt, I think was the only, the, was it the only Kickstarter campaign that you've launched?
1: Yeah, actually. Well, I tried launching uh, before that. I tried launching like a color line, like the um, like you know a vibrant color leather belt line for the slide belts, and they rejected uh, Kickstarter rejected it as a project because or as a campaign because they said I'm already selling that product, and that's Mm -hmm. understandable. I wasn't really angry. I was like, oh, you know, I put a lot of effort into it, but it it was a rejection, and it was a little hard for about 24 hours. Then I kind (laughs) of I regathered myself, set some new goals, set some new deadlines, and I was like, okay, I got this. But it was hard for like a day.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're great at picking yourself back up during these uh, these upsets. So that makes sense. So the kick the Kickstarter campaign that did make it through though was the Survival Belt. just a sixty thousand dollar goal, end up raising over two hundred thousand dollars from two thousand ninety nine backers. So tell us a little bit more about this. Like, how did you uh, promote this? Like, how were you able to get to the raise and blow out your, your already pretty large goal by you know base essentially almost uh, a little bit over three times uh, your original goal
1: yeah so I mean that was one of those things where um it, we made sure first of all you know you don't even have to worry about marketing <laughs> until you are making sure the actual Kickstarter page looks good and it's clean and it's pitching to the right audience you know and um by that i mean if it's uh if it's a data analysis idea, make sure that there's not a lot of graphics in there if it is a really bright colorful you know um you know the uh what is the reading rainbow uh campaign if it was like one of those then you make sure that it's focused on lots of colors and lots of images and it's clean so make sure you're focusing on what your audience is and you may or may not learn what that is as you do the kickstarter campaign so take a stab at it figure out who you're pitching to make it clean and make sure the front page image that you're using for the tile the, 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 the tile image that they list when people are browsing kickstarter make sure it stands out from the, the from the rest of them like what, what we did is you know early on as soon as we launched looking at the palette of all the different um, campaigns that were next to ours and being like, which one of these catches my eye most, you know? And then I would like, uh, it wouldn't be mine. I'd be like, why is it not mine? Why is this one? It's like, oh, because it uses a white background, you know, and it has just the product sitting right on top. I'm like, cool, let's do that, actually. Let's let's change the front page um, tile image for the Kickstarter video, boom, to that. And that that would help garner more um, clicks. The other thing is you want to, like, reach out to a bunch of different, like, websites who, um, you know, for ours it was, like, outdoors websites. And we email them and say, hey, you know, this is our, we're starting a Kickstarter campaign. We've uh, exceeded our, you know, we've exceeded our goals. We'd love to have you guys come check it out. Even if we hadn't exceeded the goals, we'd just say, this is a groundbreaking wearable tech. Like, uh, you know, we have a knife, we have a fire starter, we got GPS, you know, come check us out. Like, so it was emails to a bunch of companies like, and you can see like the like, but you can see all the ones on our survival belt campaign page, all the ones we reached out to, because they eventually listed, uh, you know, they, they mentioned us and we listed them as a referral than on our campaign.
0: Yeah, so I like that very first point. What I want to touch on that again is that your, your Kickstarter campaign does not exist in a vacuum. You know, It's not like all of a sudden people are only coming to this page. You could There's a whole slew of potential customers that are just browsing through Kickstarter. And what you're getting at is that you have to stand out amongst them too and get their attention even before they show up on your, click onto your your page. So I think that's an important point. I've heard anyone say that before, but it makes a lot of sense that you have to stand out amongst Kickstarter existing Kickstarter campaigns as well. So I, I really like that.
1: Yeah. And people are smart. They, they understand too. Like if you just sit down, I, I can sit down anybody without any experience in marketing and just be like, which one of these stands out to you instinctively at first. And then they would point to a couple and most likely it's, there's, for, there's a reason behind it. And they may or may not know what the reason is, but if you pick it apart, you'll figure it out. You'll figure out why it stands out and then you can utilize that, you know? That's that's just marketing 101, it's probably before 101, it's marketing 01.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, when you say it in kind of retrospect as well, it definitely makes a lot of sense. At least I haven't heard anyone mentioning, or I guess approaching, Creating a Kickstarter campaign this way before. So I think it's an important point anyway. So I'm looking at, I looked on your, 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 um, our story page and it says here that you sold 40,000 belts in 2013. Obviously, you raised, you know, $200,000 in a Kickstarter campaign. Give us an idea of how successful the business is today, you know, go into any details you're comfortable sharing about how successful it is today. Uh,
1: yeah, you'd say like, you know, hundreds of thousands last year and now we've already sold more. Uh, so far, we sold more in the month of January than we did all last year. And that wow. was using a couple of marketing tacti- tactics and techniques that I will tell you about in like two years <laughs> when everybody <laughs> else <knows> about it. <laughs> well,
0: maybe you can share some things that uh, you maybe think are a little more general that are out in public um, of ways that worked well for you to sell a product like, like uh, apparel for any other listeners out there that are in the fashion industry. Like what are some avenues, some mediums that they should focus on?
1: Um, you know, I'll give you guys a freebie, like right here, right now, if you're starting a company and most people won't, uh, they won't do this, but this is what I would do. This is only what I would do. And there's a somewhat of a risk, but if I was starting from scratch right now, I would sell on Amazon UK. I wouldn't even focus on us right now. Amazon is getting bigger outside of the country in foreign countries. I would start my brand. I would pre-pack all my products. I'd ship it to fulfilled by Amazon warehouses in the UK and they'll ship it to all these other countries, including Italy, France, Germany boom, like right there. Like that's what I would do because you got to get ahead of the wave. And uh, right now, Amazon is already oversaturated with third-party sellers in the U.S. It's pretty competitive. It's pretty hard. But uh, outside of the U.S., there's still opportunity. That's, mm. There's a freebie right there. Right? Cause yeah. I'm not, there's a, it still will take a lot of work, but that's for sure a competitive edge right there.
0: No, I love it. That, that, that's a great idea. Is that something that's uh, just as easy to get started with as if you were selling into the dot-com, the, the U.S.-based uh, uh, Amazon?
1: Um, yeah, it is actually. Yeah. I don't know if you have to, I don't know if they'll require you to register first in the U S they might. Um, but they, it's just as easy as the U S one in terms of like making the sale, doing the product ads, uh, just listing the product. Yeah, for sure. And there's, in addition to that, there's a bunch of other countries that aren't even part of like the UK fulfillment center that you could also sell in right now. Now that has like inherent risk but uh, because who knows, maybe Amazon won't, will take longer to get as big as it has in the U.S. Maybe it um, won't ever get as big. I think it is. It's, either way, you can, you can make a foreign version of your website and you can fulfill it. You can fulfill the orders just uh, because you have a Fulfilled by Amazon product abroad. You see what I'm saying?
0: Can, can you explain that a little more?
1: So, in other words, if you started like um, you know adjustabledesks.italy or whatever, .ip, you know, you could fulfill products and orders placed on that domain. Uh, you could fulfill them. You could fulfill them with Amazon warehouse, uh, fulfilled by Amazon stock. If you send product there, you sounds you, right. Yeah, so that, like that makes that, s- That's huge. Yeah, and that definitely just, makes sense. You uh, target like keywords. You know, certain keywords or adwords um, that are in foreign languages, and you could probably you could get enough traction. You could start a company. You know, there's lots of lots of hurdles after that, but that's a great way to start and you get ahead of uh, a trend that has already been proven
0: stateside. Cool. So maybe to close this out, uh, you know, obviously because you spent so much time, it sounds like testing so many different things, what are some apps or that you, you and your company rely on apps or tools that you rely on today that have you know, passed your, your screening process?
1: Um, yeah, so uh, uh, for like, project management, <laughs> it's, um, uh, we've uh, tried a bunch of different things, including Basecamp. And ultimately we stuck with Asana. Asana works pretty well for us. It's pretty versatile. And that's huge for communication. We're trying, you know, otherwise you, your team will get inundated with emails. You yourself might, um, might have tried a bunch of different iPhone apps in terms of getting stuff done, to-do lists, all the things. That's fine. Keep trying. See what works for you, what doesn't. For me, Asana has worked for, uh, I mean, more, more than one or two people, projects or tasks. Uh, Asana's worked out pretty darn well. And, uh, I mentioned when I work for, um scheduling. Uh, Zen Payroll, which is now called Gusto, uh, for payroll. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Bambo HR for HR stuff. Um, ShipStation for shipping products. Stitch Labs, Reason for inventory, and Zero for financing. Um, let's see. In terms of yeah, that's about it really. We have a diverse set of phones and computers, and uh, yeah, we're you know we're in a regular business office that's zoned for research and development, research uh, zoned for R and D. So it allows us to have walk-ins that people can, you know, we have a reception area that's almost like our front door, like our, you know, people can come by and, and shop and actually buy a belt here because of what the area is zoned for. And it's not too expensive because there's also regular offices in this area. So it's not like we had to go to a, a high traffic, foot traffic area, especially nowadays where you can list your, you know, show your company on Google Maps um, and, you know, people will find you somewhere or another. Obviously it is benefits to being right where all foot traffic is, but that's one thing where we we're allowed to pack product, quality control, you know, even uh, do customization on products in the area zone for R&D.
0: Mm, very cool. I didn't know that that was, uh, I guess, a trick that you could employ. I think that that's another great gem you dropped. Yeah.
1: Yeah, obviously, there's a lot of people that break the rules, but like that's, if you you know, my goal is to try and break as little rules as <laughs> possible. And, or as Arnold Schwarzenegger says, right, doesn't he say like, Break the rules, but don't break the law. <laughs> that's kind of like my mantra.
0: <laughs> cool, makes sense. So, tell us about uh, what do you have planned for the rest of the year. What are some products or things that the listeners can look out for?
1: Yeah, dude, the uh, survival buckle, the survival belt is coming out, and that's going to be absolutely awesome. Like, we've been working on that so for uh, such a long time. I had to trash like the first prototype. Um, we even had to try it in a different country. Uh, I won't say exactly where. Well, you guys will figure it out. But like, it's it's such a great product. Now we've gone through so many different phases. We tried different types of metal. We tried different fiberglass, and it's, it's going to be awesome. It's so sleek and simple that some people will just be wearing it, and it's just nice knowing that you have a multi-tool. You have a light. You have a fire starter. You have a knife, like, all right there, and it's sleekly designed, so it's just like you forget about it, you know, and so that's coming out, and, uh, you know, we're actually doing pre-orders uh, September 1st. Well, actually, you know, we're shipping, we're shipping pre-orders September 1st. We're doing pre-orders June 20th, so if anybody's listening, come to our website June 20th. You can actually buy and do a pre-order for – uh, survival belt and awesome. i believe uh, right now the price is probably going to be like 180 dollars but it's cool. high quality material it's, you won't find anything uh, like it anywhere else
0: cool yeah so this episode is going to go out by then so you check it out now uh, where should i go to again just uh just slide com.
1: yeah go to slidebelts.com you know or you can get catch us on uh, you know twitter or facebook or instagram um and uh, you'll see us launching that uh, at the end of june and you'll definitely hear about it
0: Awesome. Great. So thanks so much, Brig. So slidebelts.com is a website. Anywhere else you recommend that folks go check out, they want to follow along, what you're up to?
1: Just come to slidebelts.com and kind of browse around and people can kind of see what we're up to. Uh, you know, we post updates a lot on Instagram. So check us out there as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brig. You bet, Felix.
0: Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.